The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Samaritas, the state's largest private foster care and adoption agency. However, Samaritas also provides a number of other services around the state. They are one of the largest refugee resettlement agencies in Michigan. They serve homeless families, persons with disabilities, abused and trafficked women. They also provide market rate and affordable housing for seniors and HUD housing for families and also have skilled nursing, memory care and rehab communities in Grand Rapids, Cadillac and Saginaw. Samaritas, we thank them for their support here at Deadline Detroit. Hey everybody, happy Monday. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. It is a Monday, and rather than a ranting Monday, it's more of an update Monday today. I'm not going to do anything that I'm upset about today. In fact, a couple of things that sort of surprised me a little bit that took place over the last couple of days. One today, the other one on Friday. So coming up a little bit later on, we'll talk about Dave Coulter's ascendancy to the Oakland County executive position. He, of course, is the mayor of Ferndale right now. And as of today, he will resign that position and become the interim county executive. First time Democrats have ever controlled that seat. So we'll talk about what that might mean. Also, we'll start the program today talking about a letter that shocked me a little bit this morning from the Business Roundtable. This is a group of some of the most influential CEOs in America. In fact, just about all the big corporations are represented here. They signed a new letter this morning basically talking about what the primary function and role of a corporation is. Are they moving away from this notion of maximizing shareholder value as being their only mission in life? It sure sounds like it. What's that going to mean for us? We'll talk about that too. Stick around for the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Hey, welcome to the Craig Folly Show on this Monday. Very glad that you have chosen to join me today. And I woke up this morning and uh, read this article in the Washington Post, which shocked me a little bit. Apparently, a group called the Business Roundtable. Now, this is an organization that represents the most powerful chief executives in America. This is companies like Dow and General Motors and Oracle and, and Amazon and every other major corporation you can think of. The heads of these companies all signed a letter today that fundamentally changes the way that they view the role of a corporation. Now, something to think about here is that corporations for a long time, we have had it hammered into our brain that the role of a corporation is to maximize value for shareholders. Well, that's not always been the case. This is a policy that was put in place by the Business Roundtable back in the 1980s, where that was the sort of the mindset. And it's not an official policy. It's more like the mindset. This is what the corporation should be there for, is to maximize value for shareholders. And anything else... Is just a means to that end. Well, we've seen what that has meant for our economy. Offshoring of jobs, cheapening labor, uh, not necessarily the investment in the communities that uh, helped build them up. There's been a lot of problems that have resulted from this. And this notion of, of sort of you know, shareholder value trickling down to, to build a new economy has not exactly been where we have been in this country. Not even close. So I want to read you this letter because this is pretty significant that they put out this statement again. This is their first major shift in mindset in 40 plus years. Now here's what we've got. Here's the statement. I'm going to read it in its entirety. Quote, Americans deserve an economy that allows each person to succeed through hard work and creativity and to lead a life of meaning and dignity. We believe the free market system is the best means of generating good jobs, a strong and sustainable economy, innovation, a healthy environment, and economic opportunity for all. 
Businesses play a vital role in the economy by creating jobs, fostering innovation, and providing essential goods and services. Businesses make and sell consumer products, manufacture equipment and vehicles, support the national defense, grow and produce food, provide health care, generate and deliver energy, and offer financial, communications, and other services that underpin economic growth. While each of our individual companies serves its own corporate purpose, we share a fundamental commitment to all of our stakeholders. We commit to, my emphasis there, we commit to delivering value to our customers. We will further the tradition of American companies leading the way in meeting or exceeding customer expectations. Investing in our employees. This starts with compensating them fairly and providing important benefits. It also includes supporting them through training and education that help develop new skills for a rapidly changing world. We foster diversity and inclusion, dignity and respect. Dealing fairly and ethically with our suppliers. We are dedicated to serving as good partners to the other companies, large and small, that help us meet our missions. Supporting the communities in which we work. We respect the people in our communities and protect the environment by embracing sustainable practices across our businesses. And generating long-term value for shareholders. Long-term value for shareholders. Who provide the capital that allows companies to invest, grow, and innovate. We are committed to transparency and effective engagement with shareholders. Each of our stakeholders is essential. We commit to deliver value to all of them for the future success of our companies, our communities, and our country. Now, this was signed, as I said, by about 100 of the most powerful CEOs in America. Every company from Walmart to Amazon to American Express to Alliant Energy, American Tower, Ameriprise, Alltech. That's just the A's. This keeps going and going and going. Now, again, it is just a letter, and it's not something that necessarily changes government policy. However, however, it does represent a fundamental shift in what they view as their role. They're talking about balancing the needs of community and company and their bottom line. We've seen a lot of pushback against corporations in recent years, especially here in Detroit, where you have new investment uh, with insistence on the part of community members that there's some sort of benefit to them when somebody gets a tax break or they expand in their community. It's not enough anymore just to say, please come here. There actually has to be a benefit to it. Not to mention, not to mention the discussions that we've had about people not being able to basically make a living off a full-time job in this country in many instances. Some of the companies that are on this list that signed this are acknowledging that their own practices and how they've been dealing with their employees are not sufficient. And I think it's also a recognition on this, on the part of these corporate leaders that the balance of power is way out of whack in this country. We've seen the gap between rich and poor widen. The gap in opportunity widen. Recognizing that this home market of theirs, with this, this nation that they call home, is no longer able to support them, these companies and buy the products that they're trying to put out because of this economic inequality is something that needs to be addressed. For years, this organization had this theory that shareholders' interests should come above all else. And like I said, this didn't come about at the beginning of time. Yes, they want to maximize shareholder value. Any CEO worth their salt knows that their job relies on whether or not their shareholders are happy with their return on their investment. Same with the boards. But there is a recognition now of the role that they have played in creating this unequal system. When you have somebody working full-time that still qualifies for public assistance, there is something wrong with that. And while this statement may not change anything, it's at least an attitude, an attitude that maybe, just maybe, 
They need to be part of the solution. There's a line in there. I want to read this part again because I think this is important. This is as much an acknowledgement as you'll see of anything. Investing in our employees. This starts with compensating them fairly and providing important benefits. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, but that means not cutting back on health care. That means maybe a sustainable wage. And the companies will revisit some of their hiring practices. And again, providing job training to people so they can stay up to date on the technology and the changes so they can stay in an industry. That's a huge deal. And then the last line in that section on employees, we foster diversity and inclusion, dignity and respect. Now that may very well be a, um, a reaction to some of the current things that we have been seeing in terms of dealing with immigration and everything else. But the private sector has often led the way when it comes to political change on things. And if you have a group of CEOs, who, by the way, have spent the last four decades getting incredibly, incredibly wealthy at the expense of, well, not at the expense of, but, you know, uh, because they are maximizing their shareholder value, maybe recognizing that some of that stuff hasn't trickled down the way that it was supposed to or the way that it was designed to. Maybe they need to do something a little bit different. And maybe long-term shareholder value is better than short-term gain. Because as any CEO will tell you, Their job is only as secure as their last quarter and how well they did and whether they can convince shareholders and the board that indeed their long-term strategy is going to pay off. Every company goes through short-term pain, but they've also, in many instances, sacrificed long-term gain for short-term profit-taking, whether that means outsourcing jobs to different markets, whether that means cutting employee benefits or layoffs or automation. But when you look around at what's happened to this country, And you look at what's going on with the economic inequality that does exist out there and people working harder and harder and not getting ahead and listening to people like Ben Shapiro say, oh, well, if you have to work two jobs just to get by, that's a you problem. No, it's not. It's a marketplace problem. We have devalued work, hard work, to the point where people will work full-time jobs or two part-time jobs or three jobs in some instances and still qualify for public assistance. That is unacceptable in the United States. That's not how we were raised. Everybody talks about, well, you know, if you work hard, you'll get ahead. But guess what? There are a lot of people working hard that aren't getting ahead. A whole lot of them who work their butts off every day and are not getting ahead. So any acknowledgement at the top that maybe something is amiss here is a welcome, welcome change in this country. Away from the Gordon Geckos of the world, greed is good, to recognizing that guess what? When we all, when we all rise, that's when things work. Sustainability fair day's wage for a fair day's work. That's what built this country. We've gotten away from that. And maybe, just maybe, this is somebody trying to turn the Titanic back around. I certainly hope so. But when I look at the names on this list and I see the CEOs on this letter and the fact that they actually put this down on paper suggests to me that there's a bit of an awakening in the boardrooms of America that the system that we've got right now is not working the way it's supposed to, that something is amiss here and that they have a role a major role in making it work better. I can't say this is going to change anything, but I'll tell you what, I felt a lot better after reading this this morning than I did before. Because if these guys can't get it done with the connections they have in Washington, in New York, in boardrooms across America, to recognize that guess what? The people that are working for you are the people that you need to invest in. 
As much as you need to invest in technology, as much as you need to invest in supply chains, all that sort of stuff, you need to invest in the people that work for you. Because if they're doing okay, your company's going to do okay. But when you've got somebody working on an assembly line and they can't afford to buy the product that you're selling, something's amiss. I, for one, applaud these guys for actually coming out and saying this. Now, keep in mind, again, this shareholder first thing is something that's been going on since the early 80s. And as recently as 1997, they reiterated that stance. Now, this is what they said back in 1997, quote, the business roundtable wishes to emphasize that the principal objective of a business enterprise is to generate economic returns to its owners. Shareholder primacy is what they call that. This is something that we've all just accepted. Well, corporations aren't in it for the people that are working for them. They're in it for the people that own the shares. That's what's led to the current situation that we have right now. A lot of people have criticized this thing because, again, it focuses on short-term results rather than long-term benefits to the community. Now, according to this article that I read today, just to give you an idea of how out of whack things have gotten, this is from August 14th, the Economic Policy Institute, which is a left-leaning think tank, but they had found that chief executive compensation, this is according to the Post and this report, CEO compensation had grown 940% since 1978. Typical worker compensation has risen just 12% over that same time period. So maybe... Enough is enough. Maybe it's time to ratchet this back in. Maybe it is time to, again, invest in the people that make these companies work. And also, it's maybe time to force companies to think about the betterment of the community as a whole and not just their bottom line. Now, granted, there is some political pressure on this, absolutely, with Democrats possibly winning the White House in 2020, maybe. But the things that they're talking about, sort of this economic populism, has gotten people's attention. Corporations aren't going to want a ton more regulation. They're not going to want to have all of these things overlooked with a fine-tooth comb all the time any more than they already are. So maybe by taking some proactive steps to actually raise wages for their workers, they can take off some of the political pressure. But let's start by thinking about what is a living wage and what you can afford to pay and what is a reasonable profit margin. What is an amount that you should make? Yes, you want to maximize profits for your shareholders. I get that. But at the same time, long-term, what good is it doing if you're creating a society in which your product can't be bought by the people that are actually working for your company or the average customer? Everything else is going up. Wages need to go up too. And while I'm not saying this is going to fix everything, it's a step in the right direction. And let's hope the policy leaders are taking a look at this as well. And people aren't going to just wave their nose in the air at this idea of a living wage. It's an idea whose time has come. We can do this. There's plenty of cash out there at the top for the shareholders. Most of us don't own stock except for whatever our retirement account is in. And that's fine. You like those returns. That's great. But we're not the ones. We're not the ones making massive amounts of money on these short-term deals, shorting stocks and figuring out which things are going to go up and which are going to go down. That's not us. We always talk about how great the stock market is. That's not us. That's not the typical person. That may be some of you out there, but the vast majority of us aren't living and dying by this kind of stuff. We're not making these massive amounts of money. We're not the ones benefiting from this. We are indirectly, but at the same time, investing in people, investing in your employees, paying a living wage is the kind of thing that is going to allow us to take it to the next level and to sustain and thrive as a nation, not just as one class of people in the nation, but everybody in the nation. The fact that I've got a bunch of corporate CEOs actually talking about things like this 
for the first time in decades and recognizing that they may be partly responsible for this gap that exists out there right now is good. We'll be right back. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. Hey, welcome back to the show. Appreciate you being with me today. And uh, it's one of the things we were talking about last week, of course, is the way this process in Oakland County unfolded, of course, following the death of Elbrooks Patterson and the jockeying for position to see who would be the interim county executive in Oakland County. Well, it got settled on Friday. And Dave Coulter, who is the mayor of Ferndale, has been appointed as the interim as the interim county executive in Oakland County. It was an 11 to 10 vote along party lines, a vote that was only made possible when Dave Woodward, who had resigned from the board in order to seek that position, withdrew his resignation because it hadn't been voted on yet, so it wasn't official. He was able to retake his seat, giving the Democrats an 11-10 majority on the county commission, and of course they passed it on an 11-10 vote to make Dave Coulter the new interim county executive. Interestingly enough, a couple of citizens, including former legislator Rocky Rakowski, had filed an emergency suit, but of course that was rejected, suggesting that uh, Woodward could not come back on the board, but that was rejected, allowing the vote to go forward. Now the interesting thing is Dave Coulter, was not even one of the five people interviewed to be that interim person. Those interviews took place last week on Wednesday, I believe. He was not even one of those people considered. And you may not like the politics of this, uh, and and it has been sort of an ugly process, but with only 30 days in which to decide whether to do it or wait till the next election, I'm not shocked the Democrats did this. Listening to the Republicans whine about how this went down is rich, given their history in the county. They have done all kinds of things politically over the years to make sure they maintain their stranglehold on that county in terms of power. Now, interestingly enough, Dave Coulter suggested that he was going to reach out to Gerald Poisson, who's in the position right now, who took over when Elbrooks passed away. He's been in position for a couple of weeks now, and to see if he could work with that team to see if they could aid in the transition. But already, a couple of people who were on Brooks Patterson's team said they will not serve in this capacity because they didn't like the process. So Phil Bertolini has said he's out. Gerald Poisson is going to leave as well. We'll see whether or not they actually help out Mr. Coulter in the transition or not. But either way, it's a 16-month appointment. That's what David Coulter says. He says he's not going to seek the election in 2020. We'll see how that shakes out. Maybe he likes this job. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know. But already, Andy Meissner, the treasurer, and Dave Woodward have both announced that they want to run in 2020. And Dave Coulter had already come out and endorsed Andy Meissner for the position before all this stuff went down. So we'll see whether or not Dave Coulter decides to do that. I'm trying to get in touch with Dave Coulter right now. I want to interview him about what he's going to do over the next 16 months. He may not have a great idea yet, but at least he'll have an idea on some things that he might want to accomplish there. What can be done in 16 months with an interim county executive and an 11-10 majority for the Democrats and a Democrat in the position of power for the first time ever in Oakland County since the county commission job was created? No Democrat has ever led Oakland County ever. So you've got 16 months. It's going to be a tight election. You know the Republicans are going to put up a formidable candidate there. Democrats will likely put up a good one as well, but we're going to see. But in the next 16 months, what are they going to have the political wherewithal to get done? Could they see a regional transit deal? 
Could they convince some of the communities that opting out of the transit system is not a good idea so we can at least link these things up in a better way? Improve services? I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen in the next 16 months. But I'm itching to find out. So I'm going to try to get Dave Coulter on the program sometime in the next few days. I've got a message out to him right now. I've known him for a long time. And hopefully he'll be willing to come on the program and explain what his vision is going to be and how he's going to have to navigate some pretty choppy political waters for the next 16 months. And how do you maximize an interim role? What do you need to do to be effective in that time frame? One, you got to keep your own coalition together, which is going to be difficult. But what do you think you can get done? What do you think you actually have the right to get done? Because there's not exactly a mandate here. That's me being understated. There is no mandate. It was a tight vote, 11 to 10, only made possible because they didn't vote on the resignation of Dave Woodward. Without him, there would have been a 10-10 split. Gerald Poisson would be, of course, the acting county executive for the time being. So quite a change in just a couple of days. And while you may not like the politics, you may not like the way that it went down, given the time frame that they were working under, there really was no other way to do it if the Democrats were going to take control. And for those of you that always say that the Democrats don't do what it takes to get things done, or they wuss out when it comes to being in the face of Republicans, Republicans will do anything for power. Democrats always wuss out. I've heard that time and time again. Well, they didn't this time. Now we'll see if they do anything with it. All right, everybody, uh, tune in tomorrow. We'll have a lot more coming up. Hopefully, we'll get Dave Coulter on the program sometime in the next few days, uh, get a chance to talk to him. There are some other things that I'm looking at as well. We'll get an update on roads. We'll see if the legislature's coming close to any kind of a deal because guess what? Budget time is upon us. They've got to get something done quickly, and there's a lot of disagreement on what's going to happen there. So we'll follow up on that this week as well. Thanks for listening today. In the meantime, send me an email, thecraigfollyshow at gmail.com. It's easy to find me there. You can find me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Snapchat, on LinkedIn, and on Instagram. Although I don't post a lot of pictures, but, you know, hey, it's a radio thing, I guess. Anyway, you can find me in any of those places. Send me a message, topics you want to talk about. We'll have some cool stuff coming up this week. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Have a great day. Enjoy this weather on this Monday. Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Also, home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor. Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Hey there, my name is Seth Ressler. Hi everyone, it's Becky Scarcello. I am new to the Detroit area. And I've been here my whole life. So we started a podcast together. It's called The D. Brief. Detroit's arts and entertainment podcast. We cover concerts, comedy, plays, food, drink, all kinds of stuff. All the cool events around town, things to do, and the people that are doing them. Can we talk about some of the people we've had as guests on this podcast? Hey, this is Mark Kurlianchik, the restaurant critic for the Detroit Free Press. Hi, I'm Ian DeLisi, and I host Essential Music on 1019 WDET. Hi, this is Mark Ridley of Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle. Hey, this is Kate Williams, executive chef of Lady of the House. Hey, this is Meltdown from WRAF in Detroit. This is Josh Mallerman, author of Bird Box. This is Carmen Hart. Curator of film at the Detroit Institute of Art. President and founder of Valentine Distilling Company. The general manager of innovation experiences for the Henry Ford. Arts and entertainment editor at the Detroit Free Press. The Michigan Science Center. Arts Beats Detroit, Detroit Public Theater. Detroit Shakespeare in Detroit. 
if you like going out in the city of Detroit, you're going to like this podcast. The Debrief Podcast. We like to say Detroit's moving. Keep up. The Debrief. Your guide to Detroit's art and entertainment scene.